Well, if I have not had the chance to meet you, my name is Brianna. I serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, every week we take time to learn from Holy Scripture together. And I just, if you're new to Soma or you're new to our tradition, or just as a reminder, a lot of the times we will do that as elders. That's one of our jobs is to kind of handle the capital T teaching of the church, which really just means our kind of our doctrinal statement and kind of the overall teaching ministry and who teaches and all that kind of thing. That's really one of our responsibilities as elders. Um, but uh, sermons are not the primary, not the only domain uh, of elders. We really value people from our body that we, we believe the Holy Spirit is gifted using their gifts to uh, preach and to teach and to build this church up. And so a sermon, again, in different traditions, it means different things. We really value the sermon, uh, but we, we don't make it the centerpiece of what we do. Jesus is the centerpiece, and sermon is a way for us to point to Jesus. Um, and so a sermon is simply explaining and applying scripture for the benefit of the body. And so we believe that uh, men and women can do that, elders can do that, but non-elders can do that. We call that lowercase t teaching, right? So just explaining and encouraging and using our gifts. And so we love to be able to create space for men and women of our community. Uh, and, and all that is kind of a, a way to introduce this morning our, uh, our teacher. And so uh, this morning, you're going to get to hear from one of my uh, absolute favorite people here, uh, Chang Ho. Uh, Chang is one of our deacons of Global Missions, and so his job, along with the uh, Global Missions Committee, is to uh, work with our uh, missions partners, both here, actually, uh, as well as overseas, but primarily international context. We have a partnership with Nicaragua and a number of other uh, missionaries, and so Chang and that team does such a great job. Uh, His wife, Angel, they've been here five years, uh, six years, a long time. Angel's on our board, and uh, and they have uh, two beautiful daughters, and some of their families in town from Texas, and we're so glad to have you guys here as well. Uh, But these folks have been around our community, just mature leaders. They helped plant a church here in the community several years ago. Chang was an elder there. Uh, Angel has served in ministry uh, at other churches here in the community. So if you just, you know them, you know that they're just amazing, tremendous people. And we're so blessed as a community to have them. So uh, in just a moment, I invite Chang uh, and his uh, family up to read and then to teach. Uh, As we do that, let's just take a moment to prepare our hearts. Each week, we believe that God speaks to us. This isn't just an act of, um, you know, uh, studying a Bible alone by ourselves. We believe that God, our Father, is here and that his spirit is here to speak to us. And so let's just set our stuff aside for just a second. If you want to go ahead and grab a Bible, uh, there should be these ribbons around you. You can feel free to use this uh, as your own this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9 if you want to go ahead and turn there. But let's set that down for just a moment. Let's take a quick moment of silence to just breathe deeply in and be reminded that we have a Father in heaven who loves us who sees us, who longs to speak to us and transform us this morning. Let's breathe out our cares and our concerns and our worries. Let's just take a moment to settle and kind of center ourselves in the love. God, our Father, you invite us in your word to not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and intercession to open up our hearts and our minds and our bodies to you, to present all of who we are, requests, our desires, our fears, our longings, our hopes, our dreams, to bring those before you. And you promise us if we do that, that you, the God of peace, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And so we just open ourselves now to you. Would you have free reign to speak? Would you have free reign to move? Would you help us to listen? Would you remove all distractions 
the anxieties and the cares and the worries of life that will keep us from attending to what your spirit wants to do right now. And would you just speak a fresh word to us this morning? We are listening and we pray that you would open up our minds, illuminate our minds. She wants me to introduce her. <laughs> no, it's fine. This is, this is Evie, my uh, youngest daughter. And um, yeah, in the first service, I messed up because like I just had her talk and uh, we weren't saying this is Acts 9. So she's reading from Acts 9, okay? There you go. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and has seen a vision. in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all in more strength, and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when they had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, 
and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So we went out and went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in fear of the Lord in, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiplied. So, um, yeah, I was like this morning, uh, you know, I was congratulating people for making it out because of daylight savings times, but uh, you don't get that congratulations because you know, it's already, I don't know, what is it, like, you know, 10 o'clock? You know, I know, like, if you want to be real, most of you guys were, like, probably, like, revenge bedtime procrastinating or something like that, <laughs> you know, but look it up if you don't know what it is. Um, you know, so we were sharing this, like, misery, you know, commisery, I guess, of waking up an hour early, and I was kind of thinking of myself and maybe blame, blaming Brandon and my cynical self that he uh, basically asked me to preach during this time, right? So, yeah. But anyways, I'm glad to be here. Uh, let's pray. Father God, thank you for these personal stories of your people written down in the Bible. We are grateful um, and able to learn from Apostle Paul's story. Help me to represent his story well as you intended. And help us to have open hearts and minds to be able to learn from it and be encouraged by it. And it's his name we pray. Amen. So here we see perhaps the uh, most dramatic conversion story in the Bible. So Saul, who we know as the Apostle Paul, was a Jewish Pharisee who was zealously persecuting and murdering Christians who he thought were um, heret a heretical movement to Judaism. And on the road to Damascus, he is miraculously converted to the same faith that he was persecuting by the central person of this movement, the resurrected Jesus. Now, conversion is defined as the process of changing from one form to another, and in the religious sense, to change one's beliefs. In our culture today, conversion is not popular and can be viewed as narrow-minded and downright offensive to some. However, I do hope that as many people as possible are converted. Because in Bible, Jesus says in Matthew 18, 3, that truly I tell you, unless you change or are converted and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In John 3, 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So we see that we need to be converted if we call ourselves Christians. And I do agree that it would be offensive to assume that we as Christians can be persuasive enough or forceful enough to impose our beliefs on others. And any conversion that takes place under those circumstances is not going to work. As I'll share later at its core, true conversion happens when the formerly unbelieving person converts of their own free will as a response to a collision with the true God. As Christians, we are called to obedience by sharing our testimony or simply story with others, both to fellow believers to encourage, as well as to non-believers as witnesses of God's faith and goodness in our lives. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3.15 says to always be prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you, but respond with gentleness and respect. Now, we see in the Gospels that Jesus did encourage personal testimonies. After healing the demon-possessed man 
instead of having him travel with them, Jesus tells him in Mark 5 to go home to your own people, he said, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and for what mercy that God has shown you. And so the man went away and began to proclaim throughout the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Now, another one of my favorite stories is um, Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, this woman had three strikes against her. First of all, she is a woman who was valued less than men at the time. Terrible. And improper to have a solo conversation between an unmarried man and woman. Secondly, she was a Samaritan. And they were looked down upon by the Jews because they had intermingled with the uh, pagan nations around them. And thirdly, the woman previously had five husbands and was currently living with a man, not her husband. But Jesus does not let these things stop him from seeing her as human in dignity and made in the image of God. And after the remarkable conversation where Jesus proclaims himself as the Messiah, she tells her townspeople, and it reads in John 4.39, that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And many more believed because of his message. And they said to the woman, we now believe not only because of your words, we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man truly is the Savior of the world. Now, Paul himself also shares elements of his conversion story at least seven times in the Acts and in the Epistles. In Acts 22 and 26, in a defense when he's on trial in front of the Jewish leaders, as well as separately in front of King Agrippa. In his letter to the Galatians, he shared his story to demonstrate that the gospel came to him directly from Jesus and not by man. And to warn the Philippians uh, against the Judaizers, who were essentially adding to the gospel of Jesus by putting them under the law of Jewish circumcision, he told of his previous accomplishments as a Jewish leader, um, a religious elite, and equating them to garbage or rubbish compared to his relationship with Jesus. And finally, to his protege, Timothy, he calls himself the chief of sinners. And he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. So for any non-believing friends in the audience, I just want to tell you that if any of your Christian buddies who are trying to share their story with you is really doing this out of love to you in obedience to God. The story of the gospel, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins in their lives, it's such good news that they must share this with you, someone they love. So please excuse our awkward attempts. So now all our conversion stories will be different from one another. We all live very different lives. And many of us won't actually have very dramatic ones like Paul's, and that's, that's okay. Um, it may be just more relatable to, to those who um, you know, are maybe more similar to you. And I used to feel kind of envious of, of people that had much more dramatic testimonies, um, such as those who suffered from addictions to drug or sex, and uh, that was miraculously cured when meeting Jesus. Now, it's interesting to note that in Romans 7, Paul admits to struggling with envy as well. But he counsels us in Galatians 6, 4, that each one of us should test their own actions without comparing themselves to someone else. Comparisons, when you feel inferior, lead to envy and jealousy, and on the flip side, pride and superiority. 
Now, my testimony, at least to me, you know, seems more funny than dramatic. Um, <clears throat> similar to many immigrant families, you know, my family moved us here to the United States, you know, for um, educational and uh, economic opportunities. Um, I grew up without any religion in my household, you know, maybe the typical Asian thing where, like, you're supposed to, like, get good grades, but also, you know, to live very moralistically, right? So no, no real, you know, higher power, you know, basically you're just trying to do good, I guess. And so it wasn't until college that I was exposed to Christianity, um, and mainly through um, my, my now wife, Angel, uh, who at the time, by her admission, was not closely walking with God. So I swooped in there. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> I guess um, she felt guilty. You know, after a couple of weeks, she was like, she sat me down. was like, you know, I'm not going to marry anybody who didn't believe in Jesus. So naturally, I believed in Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, no. Um, at her recommendation, you know, I, I read the Gospel of John, and it re really made a lot of sense. And so, you know, I had been invited um, to church before, and, and sometimes, you know, and, and not with Brandon, obviously, but like, you know, you get bored, right? And you're like, <laughs> you open the Bible in front of you, and, you know, what's the biggest parts of the Bible? It's the Old Testament. And, and sometimes it's really crazy in the Old Testament, you know, like people, people dying and stuff, and just couldn't make any sense of it. But, you know, what I realize now is that, you know, when I read the Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit was working and working on me um, so that I could understand these things that um, seem to be foolish, you know, to to non-believers. And so cognitively, I knew, you know, that I had to make this kind of decision for, for myself, you know, not just, you know, that I wanted to marry Angel or anything, but, uh, you know, obviously there's mixed motives there. Um, you know, and, and Brandon said, you know, we, I have a family visiting from Texas, and uh, Angel's sister Jenny's back there with her family. And I just want to tell you, Jenny, I remember that you counseled Angel not to marry me or, like, to break up with me, okay? <laughs> so I remember that. Always remember that, okay? <laughs> Don't hold a grudge or anything, you know? Um, and then also have daughters and nieces and nephews back there. I just want to make sure, like, you know, don't do what we did. You know, this is not like a great example. God used it well, you know, for us and worked out well. Um, but uh, don't be go accidentally missionary dating, okay? Just, just don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> but, you know, our story doesn't really stop at just conversion. If you're still alive, God will keep meeting you where you are and keep working on you and sanctifying you. Now, your story is still being written, and your testimony will be added to. And so, during like a pretty low point in our lives, me and Angel, um, we struggled with infertility. And after multiple failed attempts at in vitro fertilization, I was on the road to bitterness and anger against God. Because how could a loving God deny our good request, seemingly good request for wanting to have children, and I was angry at God and couldn't worship him for several months. And I remember one sunny autumn day, I was driving to work, and, um, and I was just overcome with this kind of like depressed and pent-up anger and grief, and I was crying out against God, and I was beating the steering wheel. And then all of a sudden, I sensed the presence who was sitting in the passenger seat beside me, and I knew that this was Jesus comforting me. And so this obviously is something that I treasured. Um, it was like a second conversion, one that seared this faith inside of me forever. And it was, it was obviously, you know, God was faithful in his promise to convert the afflicted. Now, obviously, God had a different plan for us, and uh, we had to wait on his timing to adopt my, my, our two lovely daughters. And as you know, ado adoption is such a beautiful expression of God's love for us. 
For while we were sinners, God loved us and adopted us into his family. Now, again, your story is probably quite different, and, um, and every story is of value and no less importance to God. So with many of these different conversion stories, how do we know that a conversion really, really happened? So if we look at Paul's story as an example, we can kind of summarize these in two central elements. So the first one is the collision with the holy God, and the second one is the change relationships that result. So when we think about collision, right, we think about maybe motor vehicle collisions, which, you know, sadly make for a great story. Um, however, collision is basically simply like two objects or beings coming into contact with one another, and at least one of those objects having a change in trajectory. Now, in Paul's story, it was him running into an immovable being in the form of Jesus, and Paul gets knocked on his butt and blinded. In my testimony of Jesus comforting me, Jesus quickly changed my path of walking down this road of bitterness and anger and potentially unbelief to correct the course of my life. Now, some of you may have had more gentle collisions, um, basically where God uses a quiet, gentle voice to kind of nudge you repeatedly on the path that he wants you to follow. And I think of this as, as water, you know, basically like eroding the rocks or a river carving a canyon. And water seems very malleable and, and weak, but over time it can create great topographical changes. Now, in all these collisions, the one true God seeks you out and directs you. Jesus says in the um, King James Version to Paul that it is hard to kick against the goads. Right? So this is a shepherding analogy. A goad is basically like this um, sharp pointy stick, you know, and uh, shepherds would use these pointy sticks to poke at the sheep. It sounds mean, but like it keeps, keeps them like on the right path. And so sheep, you know, like are pretty dumb, and uh, they're like that game Lemmings. My, kind of an old game, actually. Uh, kind of shows my age, but basically these lemmings are just walking around. You've got to like move them and guide them, otherwise they just fall off a cliff. So, um, so basically, like compared to God, we are like sheep. You know, and um, we're pretty dumb, and, and a lot of times, if we're honest with ourselves, we need a loving God to guide us on these safe paths. So Saul, like a typical Jew of the time, believed that their Messiah would come in strength and overthrow the Roman occupiers. He could not imagine a Messiah that would come as a sacrifice for our sins and die on a cross like a criminal, even though it had been predicted in the scriptures. So like Saul, we like to make up our own gods, and today, we're more likely to believe in gods like money or success, vanity, politics, tribalism. You're not going to have a collision with a false god of your own making, right? Because you made it. It's going to get out of your way when you want it to. And so the sen second central element of a true conversion is change relationships. Now, this, of course, starts with our relationship with God. And like Saul, before our collision with God, we were enemies. And after collision, hopefully, we accept God's true nature and put ourselves in a right place compared to God, who is our Lord and creator and, wants, and loves us and wants what's best for us, even if we don't often understand what that is sometimes. And we begin to have true intimacy and prayer with God. And it says in Paul's story that after he was blinded, his, um, his helpers, his travel companions, basically took him, and then he was praying while waiting for Ananias. This must have been real prayer, and communication with God, rather than this perfunctory performance that kind of marked the Pharisee, which he was. This second aspect of the change relationships is in our relationships with other people. 
And so through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, we become imitators of Jesus in that we have more love for other people who may not look like us. We become less and less selfish, and we are willing to sacrifice for others. Again, Ananias is a great example here and plays a major role in Saul's conversion. Remember that Saul's original mission was to jail and put to death followers of Jesus, and Ananias was one of these followers. So we see him question God about sending him to Saul. He likely fears some fear and resentment you know, at Saul for what he had been doing to his brothers and sisters in Christ. However, Ananias obeys God and reaches out to Saul at risk of sacrifice for himself. And Jesus obeys God the Father to go to the cross, knowing for certain that he will die as a sacrifice for our sins. Ananias chooses to reach out to Saul, a former enemy, and Jesus chooses to die for us while we were yet sinners. Ananias welcomes Saul as a brother, while Jesus welcomes us into his family. And like Saul, we receive this undeserved grace. So after conversion, we see Saul immediately preach Jesus to the Jews. God uses this great zeal that he had in persecuting Christians now for sharing the good news of Jesus. Unfortunately, we see the Jews respond the same way that Saul previously did by trying to kill him. And I wonder what Saul must have felt um, at the receiving end of this hatred. Surely he must have felt discouraged, and that's probably what solidified his thinking of calling himself the chief of sinners. However, he must have been encouraged by the Holy Spirit because we see in the rest of the passage, as well as throughout Acts, how he continues to faithfully preach the gospel of Jesus at many different locations, even receiving um, or often facing violent opposition. Now, when Saul gets to Jerusalem, we see that he is rejected by the disciples there because of his previous persecution. However, we see Barnabas acting like a Christ figure by reaching out to Saul and being a bridge to introduce him to the apostles. Barnabas means son of encouragement in Greek, and this is the same Barnabas who earlier had sold all his land and gave um, all the proceeds to the church in Jerusalem. I think opposition is probably why many times we as Christians are so hesitant to share our story of how God changed us. At least in this country, you know, our lives are probably not in danger you know, when we share. However, if you do share your story often enough, I believe that opposition will probably come about. However, I hope that we continue to be obedient in sharing our story with others despite any perceived or real opposition, doing so because we love others and doing it in gentleness and respect. I hope that God sends us in Ananias or Barnabas to help encourage us to continue to share. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Paul's story. Although our story may look different than his, we are so grateful that each and every one of our stories are unique because you have chosen to meet us individually, to collide with us, to change our paths to the good path that you have provided us. Help us to be obedient to you and our calling to share our stories with others. Help us to learn to love as you love and to see people as you see them in dignity and in your image. And please send us encouragement in the form of your faithful followers like Barnabas and Ananias when we face opposition. May the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ never dim in our hearts and we always feel compelled to share this good news with others. It's in his name we pray. Amen.